welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Dude. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is the Album Nerds Podcast. I'm Dude. I got Andy and Don with me once again. Andy, Dude. how you doing today, my friend? Doing well, doing well. well the, um, actually, I'm a little bit forlorn. After our co-host here trounced me in fantasy football this weekend. Oh, yes. Just ran me over mercilessly. But other than that, doing good. <laughs> Don, uh, victory lap, you going to flex on Andy right now, or are you just going to say, hi? <laughs> <laughs> Don says, I like Roger Waters. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you pink float in there somehow. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, Which man. one's pink? You're welcome. All right. So, uh, we are the album nerds. You know what we do. We talk about albums. We love them. And so do you. That's why you're listening. So, today we'll be talking about three. We'll be answering a question. At the end of the show, we'll spin the wheel of musical destiny so that we can determine what we'll be talking about on the next episode. But uh, today, today, my friends, we're talking about Lollapalooza 1991. That's what I'm talking about! Lollapalooza 1991 was a music festival conceived and created by Perry Farrell of Jane's Addiction uh, as a farewell tour for the band. Uh, the first Lollapalooza tour had a diverse collection of bands and was a, a huge commercial success, stopped in more than 20 cities in North America. Uh, the Lollapalooza tour ran annually uh, up until 1997 and was re revived in 2003. Today, each of us will discuss an album from one of the artists who performed at that original Lollapalooza. Yeah. So, initially, great excitement, Lollapalooza, mm -hmm. Pearl Jam. Soundgarden, wrong. It was just for 1991. So things were a little weirder. Things were a little more fringe, I would say, at, at that point. Uh, alternative music was breaking through by 92. It was becoming the standard. So I struggled, but I didn't because the list was short. And I listened to an album by every artist that played on the Lollapalooza 91 tour. How about you guys? No standouts from anyone in particular? I enjoyed the Fishbone uh, albums just because they're so varied, and I listened to a bunch of them, from a more funky thing to a reggae influence to harder rock later on. So exploring their catalog was more fun than I thought. A lot of the other artists I was mostly familiar, and mm -hmm. the Butthole Surfers just... One of your faves. Not. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, that was the only one I didn't listen to, actually, was Butthole, because um, I kind of knew their stuff, I guess, from radio and whatnot. But yeah, Fishbone and the Reality of My Surroundings was a really, I'd heard it before, but coming back to it was worthwhile listen. It's a pretty interesting record. I think it's a pretty good crop of music and a pretty interesting time, like a transitional time in, in uh, the alternative space. Yeah, actually, I think this is probably, you know, my favorite Lollapalooza lineup just because I, I I think it's diverse and just very very colorful. Andy said it's like a transitional time and it's you know right on the verge of alternative music becoming the mainstream. Uh, and I feel like after this, it's it's kind of when at least commercially the the whole scene kind of got uh, hijacked by by grunge, right? And uh, you know I don't mm -hmm. dislike grunge or anything, but I think it, it took some of the color out of it. I don't know. I, for a lot of these artists, you know, I mean, these are groups that were, you know, big in the 80s, alternative and, you know, 
college college rock scene, you know, Violent Femmes and Susie and the Banshees. And it's like after this, I, I think they they kind of get left behind. Yeah, and it's weird. Like really, I mean, really, all these bands kind of got left behind. I guess you could say. Not Nine Inch Nails. They they were the one, I was thinking about that too. They were the one on this list that had their big breakthrough after. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Rollins to a certain extent. I imagine if Jane's Addiction hadn't broken up, they probably, I mean, I think their next album probably would have been, would have been huge. Yeah, Mm -hmm. seems that way. But it's time to uh, get to the albums. What did we choose? (laughs) (laughs) Choo choo choose me. I get the choo choo choose first because I picked the headliner. I picked Jane's Addiction, and I I went with uh, their second studio album, Habitual, Rabitual, the Habitual. <laughs> Close. Is that how it is? Practice your Spanish. <laughs> <a little> more, <laughs> <everybody>. <laughs> now I've 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 heard a lot of people have trouble with this one, and. Uh, I'm included. Ritual de lo Habitual, released August 21st, 1990, probably referring to uh, some bad habits that these gentlemen were tied up in at the time. <laughs> so why don't we start awesome. with the opening track, Stop, and that uh, kicks things off with a little energy. James Addiction, who were formed in 1985, Perry Farrell, Dave Navarro, Stephen Perkins, Eric Avery, LA Band, funkier than I thought, kind of more chili peppery than I really knew, besides just the, the radio singles. The three words I chose to describe this album, alt-rock explosion. Yes, it was happening. Yes, there was college radio. Yes, there were REM and other underground bands, but... These guys did seem to light that candle, and the tour was a big part of that. I think that the highlight of this album is Dave Navarro's guitar playing. I have not given him enough credit over the years. The bass and drums, the rhythm section, those guys are incredible too. They drive all these songs and the album. Perry Farrell gets most of the credit, I think, and I don't think that's fair. I think he has uh, been willing to take the credit too, to a certain extent. I don't. I just don't think he deserves all that credit. And you know, he's a, a front man flailing around. You know, I don't know. But uh, really? oh. he, yeah, um, he, I just read a lot of stuff where he was kind of a, a meanie pants to the band. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that particular song is kind of focused on the world moving, being crazy, headed to destruction. So let's go till we have till we stop, till it all ends. So what'd you guys think? Uh, my three words are elevated, aspirational, alt rock. Wait, that's it? Alt rock is one word, uh, buddy. Uh, just how it's, usually it goes on for a couple of sentences. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll more or less mirror what the dude said, but maybe even up you a little bit. I think Perry Farrell is a very important part of the band and gives him a lot of their personality. I know, I know. He just creeps me out. He's a weird dude, and he's definitely a, you know, a rock star in the worst sense of the word, but also a pretty creative dude. Very interesting record, and I think this one holds up really well. This and Nothing Shocking were always like staples of my catalog growing up in the 90s, and listened to these a lot, and held them in pretty high regard. I always loved like the later parts of this record, especially. 
I think the whole thing is really strong. I mean, ASAT is just like super fast and kind of weird and fun and goofy. And the B side is kind of more of an epic aspirational vibe to it, which is, I thought it was cool just to hear like, you know what, alt rock could be a little bit more than kind of like Don was saying there, where it gets kind of homogenized later in the decade. This, this was cool. It could have been something a little bit more than I think it turned out to be. And this was kind of almost the promise of what alternative scene could have been, I think, on this record, at least for me. Yeah, the uh, the three words I chose are uh, "Here we go," right? Uh, that those are the the first words of the the whole album. It's like "Here we go," that kind of thing. Uh, and so, nice. um, yeah, I just I, I just love the way that it sort of introduces the the album with with authority. You know, and those first uh, those first few tracks are are, are rockers and, and up tempo. So it's like the beginning of a journey. And then, uh, as you guys said, the the second side is is. Kind of from a different place, you know, much more uh, experimental and uh, and progressive. I, I was afraid of Jane's addiction when I was when I was that age. You know, I was I was already into you know my Depeche Mode and Cure and stuff like that. But Jane's addiction, I saw them as kind of like a harder act, and I know I knew people would mosh, you know, when they went to their shows and stuff. So it was you know not something I, I gravitated to, you know, in in the years after that, you know, I. I Definitely grew to uh, appreciate them. Although I never spent a lot of time uh, with with the albums, so uh, it was about time I you know I really focused on on this record. Yeah, this was a band that people always assumed I liked, and I was always like, oh, some of their songs are okay. Been caught stealing's okay, I guess. But yeah, Perry Farrell, his interviews, his goofy hair, like thing that he was just like a leader of a three ring circus. Like there was just some, and I guess that probably played into being able to successfully launch a music tour with a bunch of weird bands. But yeah, I just didn't like the cut of his jib. You know what I mean? I didn't like the dude. <laughs> Don't hang out with him necessarily. But. Yeah. Well, and I, I sensed something about, maybe it was because he, he was embroiled in, in, uh, drug use and stuff. There was just something off about him at the time. And I think that's what kept me away. Listening now, there's a lot of good stuff here. I mean, obviously, including him and his lyrics and style. So why don't we listen to a little bit of Ain't No Right, basically a different view of morality where if it feels good, then it's good. <laughs> if it feels bad, then it's not right. Um, I don't particularly agree, but it's a pretty cool song anyway. Satan does. That's true. Say <laughs> Love that dirty bass. Yeah, yeah, the bass is awesome. It's like a plane um, taking off or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. That's why I that's the main that song is that sound to me that's what brings me to it it's very chili peppers yeah. it wouldn't be i'm skin and bones i am pointy nose it'd be i'm chiseled pecs i am really long hair <laughs> but you know uh, the equivalencies between this band and the chili peppers i was fine with them and they were embroiled in drug stuff mm -hmm. but i think you know they didn't um they didn't seem to celebrate it so much. And, and Jane's Addiction, to a certain degree, that's there. I mean, there's also the darker side represented in some of the songs. But the Chili Peppers made it sound like a bad thing. And, and Jane's Addiction sometimes made it sound like a good thing. And that makes me uncomfortable then and now. So, Andy, growing up as 
a Jane's fan. Did it affect your style at all? I mean, were you <laughs> dreading it up? And uh, no, that part I never really related to. I just appreciated more the sort of underbash creativity and I guess sort of, you know, like I feel like they always were trying to say something and then you know, I don't necessarily agree with his views on morality in that last song, but he has like a, a pretty strong perspective. And I think it's a pretty interesting one. You don't hear a lot in, in rock. So I think that was more of the draw for me. And just, you know, just, they're just weird. Like I always liked mm-hmm. like Dennis Rodman. It's like the Dennis Rodman of, uh, ah, yes. of uh, bands. Like just bizarre and they do things their own way. And it's, yeah. it's cool. I, I, I was like, hey, Rodman, you're on a team with Michael Jordan. Show some respect. So <laughs> I think I was just like in a different state of mind, I guess, at that time. Three days towards the end of the album, 10 minutes long. Highlight of the record. Highlight of their career as far as I'm concerned. I listened to this one a lot more times than I listened to the whole album just because it is so broad and great and full of little hidden gems of sound and, and lyric. The song was inspired by, I don't know how to pronounce this, Jaula Blue, a former girlfriend of Perry Farrell. Uh, they had had a three-day love fest of some kind and that was in the late 80s and that's what this was inspired by so why don't we listen to a little bit this is at the nine minute or so mark so later in the song i just love that sound as it uh mm-hmm Starts coming out. You know, a, a lot of this also reminded me of uh, Faith No More. Oh, yeah. The yeah, stuff they were doing. That, that in particular. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. yeah. I mean, this song is just a classic in the genre, if you ask me. And I think what struck me most listening back to it this time was how it blends in with the next track, And Then She Did, which I had read was actually originally titled Then She Died, which is kind of almost like a follow-up to his ex-girlfriend's story there. Uh, yeah, that whole part of the record is just two big thumbs up for me. I bet a lot of kids in those days were just listening to side one. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> All the singles. Yeah. Been caught stealing and then start back at the beginning. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Missing the good stuff, man. All right. So, yeah. Jane's Addiction. A little bit more there than I thought. Dave Navarro. Awesome guitarist. Go back and listen to One Hot Minute by Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's a lot better than you remember. He makes it better. His guitar phrasings are more interesting than John Frusconti in your face. Oh, wow. Wow. Just getting the Chili Peppers dig in there. Oh, my gosh. That's a red hot take. Woo, yeah. All right. So that was Jane's Addiction Ritual Day Low Habitual. Go listen to it if you haven't. It's pretty interesting stuff. Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Here I am again, talking. It's time we ask ourselves a question. That's what we do. The question being, how soon should we cancel Halloween? Today, tomorrow, or the next day? Cancel culture. Yeah, I guess so. So what do you guys think? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I love Halloween, personally. I think it's a great holiday. I know some people on the show maybe don't appreciate it as much as others. But personally, uh, I'm all for keeping it. I've had a lot of great memories on Halloween. One of my favorite costumes that I still dress up on occasionally was actually uh, the Big Lebowski, a.k.a. the Dude, strangely enough. Looked pretty good in a long blonde wig. Well, once you change it up and start dressing as this dude, <laughs> shave that head. 
then yeah. then my friend halloween is back yeah unfortunately that wouldn't be a huge stretch for me to pull off that look <laughs> uh, but yeah no i love halloween how about you don yeah, I enjoy Halloween uh, as well. I mean, part of it is, is just it's a it's a nice time of year uh, in the in the Northeast weather wise. But you know, I like I like pumpkins. I like carving pumpkins, even though I'm not like an artistic person. But I like you know doing a simple face in a in a pumpkin. I love candy. I love. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I don't normally, I'm not really into horror movies, but this time of year, uh, I watch them and, and sometimes I, I discover some, some real gems, you know, so it's just been, become a, a tradition to, to spend, uh, you know, the month of October watching, um, classic horror movies and trying to find, uh, good modern ones. Yeah. Find anything good this year, Don? Well, it, it, it's not new, but I, I saw that M. Night Shyamalan movie, uh, The Visit, which I thought was was pretty good about those two kids that go to visit their grandparents and, uh, you know, crazy things. Twist. Yeah, crazy things I happen. I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. Does it turn out that their grandparents are gross? <laughs> They're gross? Gross. <laughs> That the grandparents are ghosts. Ghosts. Zoinks. Thought they could get away with it too until those <laughs> pesky kids. Yeah, so Halloween, I like the time of year. I love October. I love football season. I used to love Halloween as a kid, but there's just so many kids. They have costumes all the time. They dress up like stuff all the time. They have cartoons all the time now. They have candy all the time. They have candy machines in their schools. Like, I don't understand going door to door and begging candy off of people. Go to a Halloween party. Have a parade at your school. Stop knocking on my damn door. Wow. Dude out. <laughs> Get Jeez. off my lawn. Another Dirty scorching kids. hot take. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, man. I've never heard anyone talk ill of Halloween before. It's no, it blows I just, my mind. I just, I don't, I, you know, I just am not a fan of the door-to-door stuff but i think yeah. it's cute when kids are wearing costumes and you know i went to an event at a little zoo with my granddaughters and they were dressed up and it was nice no one was asking me for candy <laughs> i think it's cool man like the only time i ever see my neighbors is on halloween yeah so and I, um, I, I only see my neighbors through their windows at night <laughs> i mean yeah. Uh, I use it to fuel my ego because I get the, we only get like 40 kids each year. Um, and so I, I buy like the, the king size candy bars just so everybody oh, loves me. Nice. Yeah. nice. Yeah. No TP in, done. in your bushes in the morning. Huh? Nope. All right. How about y'all? It's Halloween time here in America. What do you think? Cancel Halloween? Never. You love it. You hate it. Let us know. Omnerds.com slash discord. All right, so for my Lollapalooza selection, going with the Violent Femmes and their self-titled debut record from 1983 for the Milwaukee, Wisconsin three-piece, we are going to play the single that I'm sure you all know and love. This is a bit of Blister in the Sun. Like I blister in the sun, let me go Violent Femmes is comprised of Gordon Gano on vocals, guitar, Brian Ritchie on bass, and Victor De Lorenzo on drums. So they were pretty underground at the time this came out, um, but I got some some local play on the radio, like I thought I was saying, it's kind of a college radio uh, sensation, I guess you could say. I think nowadays this record is largely looked at as being kind of a foundational element for what would become the alternative 
rock sound. I wasn't super huge into this at, at the time. I was pretty young, <laughs> but uh, I always thought highly of this. Um, I was, I think the thing that surprised me most about this record, listening back to it now, was that this was released in 83 and not like 93, because it sounds, I don't know, much more of that period than it does more of an 80s. There's not a very strong 80s sound here at all, at least from my perspective. Um, yeah, my three words are alternative underground nerds. I think this is a really enjoyable set of songs they put together here. What did you guys think? Well, my three words, uh, I did uh, anarchy in the heartland, sort of, um, I guess, proposing the idea that it's it's kind of, you know, punk meets folk, you know, so it's got that, uh, you know, that punk rock spirit and simplicity, but they're using largely like acoustic instruments and it's just a, a three piece. It's really, um, I mean, I think it's, it's innovative, you know, to actually, I, I'm surprised nobody had thought of it before to you know do punk rock um in more of a, a a folk way so that's uh yeah so i love that also i mean the songs are just extremely uh extremely catchy they straddle this line between sort of silly and light-hearted to also like some darkness you know um and so that's some angst in there yeah so it's 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 intriguing. And I, I don't know, do they kind of start this uh, sort of juvenile way of singing that I, I think Jane's Addiction <laughs> totally. also kind of has, or, you know, Perry Farrell kind of has it. And then, then all of a sudden it's Blink-182 sort of <laughs> singing in this way, you know? Oh man, I never connected those dots, but yeah, yeah. they're kind of like nasally teenager sort of sound, I guess I would say. Yeah. I'm just a teenage dirtbag, baby. <laughs> Wheatus, that's right. Made a Wheatus, Wheatus. reference on the show. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I described this album as freaky folk punk. We already covered the folk and the punk. It's freaky, man. I mean, when I first heard this was probably 84, 85. It was, uh, music class and we each got to bring in a cassette of a song to play in music class that we chose. And this kid named Jake, I want to say Butler. Hey, Jake. Played. Hope you're listening. Hey, Jake. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> Haven't seen you in 40 years or whatever. Gross. <laughs> But he played Blister in the Sun in our class. And as it goes on, I stain my sheets. I don't even know why. The teacher starts getting a little nervous. And I was a little freaked out. I'm like, I've never heard anything like that in my life. And it stuck with me uh, because of that. Like, I didn't know people could make music like that. I was like Huey Lewis in the news. You know, that was my thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and by the way, the... Uh, Incredibly embarrassing song that I brought was Rock Me Amadeus by oh. Falco. <laughs> I was trying to be cool and I failed. Um, yeah, so this is, I, you know, drug reference stuff always makes me uncomfortable. And it, it, there's a lot of that in this album, but the overall vibe is really cool. I like how they, they just innovated. They did something no one else had done. Somehow they got an album made i don't know how i can't believe it ever got distributed yeah. and uh yeah. yeah they they definitely paved the way for what became alternative rock uh andy before you move on to another clip i just wanted to mention like blister in the sun you know that that riff that dun, 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 dun. it's such a signature thing now they play it in sports arenas and, and stuff like that and it, it reminded me because I, I was listening to a uh, podcast with Rick Rubin and uh, Jack White, and they were talking about like 
um, what it is about, you know, certain riffs like Seven Nation Army, you know, is another one that's just kind of like an earworm and sort of becomes transcendent and maybe like Deep Purple, Smoke on the Water or something. You just have like these riffs that, um, you know, just become huge. And, you know, they couldn't really figure out, you know, what it is about those those riffs that that make them, you know, so special. So I, I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> Um, I don't know. I mean, they were talking about... Are you about- looking for an answer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Rick Rubin could answer that question better than we could. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but they couldn't. They they couldn't answer it. I mean, they were talking about yeah. maybe the the anticipation of notes or something like like a kind of unresolved. Or- yeah. So like you're expecting something to, to happen, and then uh, you know something else happens. You know, so it's a uh, yeah. I'm not articulating myself very well. <laughs> no, it's a super um, catchy uh, riff, and yeah, as soon as you hear it, you know. You know the song. Yeah, right. It's immediately identifiable. Yeah. Little kids know it, you know? Totally. Oh, they stain their sheets too, but uh, <laughs> different <go>. reasons. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, Gano's kind of <laughs> self-deprecating lyrics here and his kind of off-kilter delivery definitely helped them stand out. I think they still sound very unique even all these years later. Why don't we play one of those songs that, you know, kind of dives a little bit deeper, I think, into... Uh, to that sounds as a bit of confessions. Yeah, one of the like the rawer, more like punk rock moments on that record, which I always gravitate towards. That I definitely can feel like some frustration and just kind of maybe just like an outsider's angst or something. I don't know if that's more just wrapped up within the, the general like teenage coming of age sort of uh, vibe we're getting here, but. It's not exactly like these. Some of these songs are pretty bouncy and fun, but there's definitely a darker side here as well. That song is like '60s, quote unquote, garage rock, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But without any filter, it sounds like something that Eric Burden and the Animals might have done had they been free to to do so. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, I definitely heard a lot of like Velvet Underground, especially on those more rock tracks and maybe even The Doors a little bit at times. Yeah, so the, the other track I wanted to play is probably the most sonically distinct song on the record, um, which comes later. It's actually, it's called Gone Daddy Gone. It may sound familiar. It's got a pretty weird like xylophone bit. Some... Yeah, punk xylophone. Pretty standard. <laughs> pretty standard, yeah. All right, let's hear a little bit of Gone Baby Gone. I always uh, kind of equated they might be giants with this kind of yeah this, yeah this part of this part of what the Violent Femmes were doing. Another band that they remind me of uh, was the the Dead Milkmen. So you know, kind of that you know, sort of that sillier or you know, punk rock. You know, where they're kind of deliberately singing off key you know, a little bit again in sort of that juvenile way, but with also you know some sort of uh, a little bit of darkness thrown in. But yeah, I guess it's a really solid record, man. It's um, not too long. They get get in and out pretty pretty quick, but they cover a lot of territory. Lyrically, not too diverse, but but I think sonically, pretty interesting. The Violent Femmes. And now a word from our sponsor, us. This is friendship. Pure, unadulterated friendship. Oh, yeah. 
Are you a music fan? Love the album format? Want to share your superior tastes? Join us on the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash discord to talk with like-minded nerds, suggest show topics, and to find out what's happening next. Zoinks! <laughs> 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 Okay, it's Halloween, and uh, my pick is is probably fitting for that. Um, so my representative from Lollapalooza 1991 is uh, Susie and the Banshees, their fourth album uh, called Juju, uh, released in June 1981. Uh, here's a clip of the song, Sin in My Heart. Susie and the Banshees, uh, and the spelling of Susie is odd, S-I-O-U-X-S-I-E, were formed in London in 1976 by vocalist uh, Susie Sue. Birth name is uh, Susan Janet Ballion, I think, Ballion, and uh, and bass guitarist Steve Severin, uh, also uh, Steve and John Bailey. They've had, you know, various lineups over the years. This is actually the kind of the, the second lineup they've they've had. So you, you have the drummer, uh, Budgie, as he's known, that he was born Peter Edward Clark. And then you have guitarist John, I don't know if it's Magooch, Magooch. He was also in the band uh, Magazine, uh, another kind of post-punk act. Yeah, so the, the three words uh, I chose to describe this album were we're entranced spellbound. And so those are just lyrics from the, the song Spellbound, which is the, the opening cut uh, of the album. I mean, this is definitely a it's a it's a post-punk record, just like that. That track there, you know, the, the rhythm of it, it's, uh, it is sort of in, entrancing and in hypnotic. Yeah. Uh, well, before I, I, uh, before I say too much about it, I'll move on to you guys. What do you guys think of this, uh, Susie and the Banshees record? So, uh, I had never really listened to them. I was familiar. Friends in college had posters. I always just thought of them as the cure, but with a lady, which was totally off. Uh, upon listening to them. Um, and the way that you said Susan Janet Bollion kept making me think of Oignon. Cajon. Remember Cajun, man? Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, my three words were dark streets, new wave. It's more new wavy sounding than I thought. And I, I know that uh, their sound had changed over the, the first few albums. But there are moments on here, like Monitor, that's a real standout for me that is new wave-ish, but it's still, it's darker. It feels like, uh, you know, dark, foggy London nights, you know, the, the sort of creatures of the night club kids and stuff. It has that vibe to it. The creatures um, of the night. Exactly. <laughs> I vote you talk that way the rest of the show. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but that the the uh, there's some really cool stuff there that reminds me of other things that happened later. But yeah, poppier than I expected, but more accessible, which is great. I really enjoyed the record. I listened to it more times than I needed to for the show. Well, I kind of screwed myself on this record, to be honest. I um, was not too familiar with them. I knew the the single prior, but I read a bunch of reviews, kind of praising it and kind of lauding it with. Some of those other goth records we talked about, like The Cure and uh, some others in the last few months. I was kind of 
disappointed with this to be honest uh I, my three words i kind of stole from strokes i said is this it i was like i wow. feel like there wasn't a lot of like meat on the bone here i guess i would say i, I like the vibe definitely but i didn't really get much out of it outside of that there were some songs i thought worked monitor was one of them and when you just played also i thought it was really good but there were a lot of songs i felt like were just kind of like spooky for the sake of spooky and weren't really advancing any sort of thing else in my mind as i was listening to them um, oh hot take handoff yeah. <laughs> i don't know i guess it just felt like kind of like a knockoff halloween costume to me like rocket man or something it's not like i don't know i would rather listen to pornography i guess okay uh <laughs> well there's a kick in the pills huh, Don? <laughs> i'm reeling uh so you know this album as dude mentioned you know they're they they are quite eclectic you know each album kind of has a a unique sound uh on a previous record they had gone more uh electronic and incorporated more synths uh and this is uh, a return to more guitar based rock one thing i should say i I think sometimes people they don't listen to post-punk records in the right way sandy Oh boy. I think <laughs> tell us how to listen to it though. No, I, I think you have to listen to it loud, like in the same way uh, you would listen to a Sex Pistols record. You know, Susie and the Band, like this album. You know, I was just blasting it in my car, and it just has, you know, it has a real punk rock edge to it. And the the drums are so loud in the mix, and there's a lot of reverb on them, which also gives it kind of that that gothic feel. But just like the the Joy Division record we we talked about, it really is so much better loud. I mean, all music is, I guess, you know, sometimes with more new wavy sounding things, people don't do it that way. I don't know. Yeah. I think Andy was probably listening to it with AirPods while wearing a big cushy robe and had cucumbers on his eyes, (laughs) sitting back, (laughs) sipping a mojito. Um, Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's dig deeper into the, into the record. Uh, Here's one of the more experimental tracks. This is the final cut on the album. Voodoo Dolly. You know, very Velvet Underground, uh, yeah. I, I think. Very wool. Yeah. I see Andy giggling. <laughs> I just like, I don't know, man. That doesn't do it for me. I find that kind of boring. <laughs> Who asked you? Oh, <laughs> that's wait, that's the whole point of the show. <laughs> uh, I, well, I just, I just wanted to say really quick, I enjoyed that track for its atmospherics. Yes. Like, yeah. I don't know. It doesn't have to be super poetic. I just, I thought it really sounded like, you know, Vincent Price would have dug that song. Yeah. Uh, well, why don't we play a clip of the uh, the song that both of you guys mentioned liking? Uh, this is Monitor. I swear I know that from somewhere. I, Franz Ferdinand mm. comes to mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and maybe that's it. That but be. that that guitar is really cool. Yeah. Like I just really like that sound. It starts from the beginning, and it's hard to not be into that song. Mm-hmm. I mean that that was kind of the one where I'm like, hey, these guys are doing some interesting things that hadn't been at least widespread done up to that point. And with all due respect to to Robert Smith, um, I think this this Magooch guy is is probably the best guitarist Susie and the Banshees have had. You know, one of the things I like most about kind of this this post punk era is I, I think it's when 
maybe rock guitar playing got furthest away from like the blues you know um i mean so much rock is just dominated by these sort of you know bluesy riffs and you know um yeah in this era i think you're you know it's it's just different you know yeah i mean because everyone in rock and roll was trying to be Jimi hendrix you know guitar players were trying to to do that and then a psychedelia started to die and and punk started to take the forefront then you are you have kids growing up being like oh three chords okay what can i do with three chords it's different than what you know uh the clash did with three chords or whatever so yeah i think that those building blocks the post-punk the building blocks were hey you can you can just wail on your guitar any way you want you don't have to know anything just hit it till it sounds good yep (laughs) that's pretty accurate Okay, so that was uh, Juju from Susie and the Banshees, June 1981. What in the hell did we learn this week, boys? I mean, you know, Lollapalooza 1991, a lot to sort through, a lot of hot takes, lots of hurt feelings. Discuss. Need a little time to come back together here now. Yeah, this was a pretty interesting time in music. I didn't expect it to be quite as... There'd be such so much variation, I guess, in sounds from all the bands that were on this tour, which I think they made sense to all be together. Like, they're all pretty creative, trailblazing type acts. But yeah, I thought they all sounded pretty fresh in hindsight. You know, like pretty pretty cool sounds. I, I don't know what else to say with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I loved, you know, these, these three records. I, I had a good time all week uh, listening to them loudly in my car. Uh, and it is, you know, I, I certainly think we could have nominated all of them for, for the, the Ainhoffs, the, the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. I mean, I, I guess I also understand why, why we didn't. Um, but I, I really could have gone either way on, on any of these three records. Cause I mean, at the very least, I, I think they're all important and, and influential. Yeah. I think that's kind of what I took away too. I mean, I thought of Lollapalooza as just the cool alternative tour thing that, spawned all the others that i you know like horde and and uh, uh lilith fair and all that stuff came from from this happening and this making a lot of money which is really what made it change mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. this was more of a pure i mean yes jane's addiction was doing their final tour yes they wanted to probably make as much money as possible and yes, Perry Farrell had a vision, and I think that it was at its purest in this first iteration, where it was truly just probably bands he liked, right? You know, not not based so much on who you thought might bring box office, because uh, a lot of these were unknown or older bands. So, yeah, it was fun, fascinating. Um, I'm glad that I the list was short enough that I was able to fit in an album from all of them. And yeah. Well, yeah. Awesome. So all in all, a lot of good stuff came from this and also maybe the, uh, commercialization and, and, uh, eventual deconstruction of this, but you know, <laughs> yeah. say la vie, that's life. And that's one to grow on. I'm your density. Children of the Night, you gather around as we uh, prepare to give the wheel of Musical Destiny yet another spin.
Your musical destiny is to explore albums with a song that appeared on the Billboard Top 40 Singles Chart in the year 2001. Best of luck to you all. <laughs> and so it has to be a top 40 single, like individual song? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so okay. the, uh, an album from any year, technically, that has a song that was a top 40 single in the year 2001. Okay, well, what's your favorite album from 2001? Uh, what do you remember from 1991 Lollapalooza? What else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com or leave a voicemail at 585-210-2454. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Album Nerds. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thank you for listening to the Album Nerds podcast, Lollapalooza style, or Hullabalooza, if you uh, like the Simpsons. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you. See you next time. Ah, ah, ah. Okay. <laughs> three, three albums. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh.